listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Welcome to this episode of Let the Bible Speak. We're continuing our studies in Paul's first letter to Timothy, and I'm going to read from the verse number 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, had turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good, if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Amen. May God bless his word in your hearing today. I want to begin today as we continue our series in First Timothy with a word of prayer. Eternal God, we thank you again for this time to consider the word. We thank you for a, a book that is true. And so give us grace, we pray, to understand thy word today in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible is such a precious gift from God. We believe the Bible to come to us as the inerrant inspired word of God. But like all of God's gifts, the Bible can be misused to terrible effect. In the words of Peter, the unlearned and the unstable can wrest the scriptures unto their own destruction. The word rest means to distort or to twist. In other words, the Bible can be taken and misused in such a way that the word cannot be recognized. The Bible must be taken as a whole. It's important that when we study the Bible, that we compare Scripture with Scripture, that we use the Bible to interpret itself. And oftentimes, one aspect of the Word of God can be emphasized over another, and then error comes in. The Lord has given us an entire compendium of truth that would govern our thinking. And so as one area of the Bible may be emphasized, there can then be a swerving away from the truth. That's what Paul is addressing here in the warnings about false teaching. He says, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. Note, this is the danger that is facing the church in Ephesus. There were those in their company that were teaching other doctrines. Paul had warned the elders when he spent time with them in Acts chapter 20 of the danger of wolves coming in among them, seeking to destroy the sheep. And we must be clear 
that in the Christian church there is the danger of false teachers coming in unawares. We can, as evangelical believers, state that Islam or Hinduism or even Catholicism is a false faith. But whenever we warn about false teaching within the Protestant denominations, we're looked upon as being intolerant, judgmental and uncharitable. But the danger the church always faces is the subtlety of error that comes in undetected. Now Paul's point is not that Christians will agree in every little detail. There are instances in the word of God where Paul allows people to hold different opinions even within the church and to hold those positions with charity and grace. Paul's concern in 1 Timothy chapter 1 is that the gospel and the scriptures were being misused in a manner that was contrary to sound and healthy truth. Thus the never dying souls of men were in peril. Dear people, the same is true today with the agenda abroad that we're really all heading the same direction. Let's all be friends and ignore our differences. And of course friendship is commended in the Bible but not at the expense of the gospel. If to be friendly we must deny the very gospel, then we must not be friendly. Tolerance is not more important than truth, for salvation depends upon gospel truth. And if through tolerance we deny the gospel, then our tolerance is not in accordance with the word of God. Now in the course of warning about false teachers, Paul demonstrates the right use of the law. Remember last time we saw that those who were teaching falsehood They had the desire to be teachers of the law, verse number 7. And yet as Paul, as he deals with the issue of false teaching and those who have swerved away from the truth, he does make a very important assertion in verse number 8, where he says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. The law that is in view here could refer to what we know as the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. It may even refer to the Old Testament in its entirety. But more than likely in the context, it refers to that aspect of the law that we know as the moral law. The law of God that pertains to man's morality. God's standard for living that is summarized in the Ten Commandments. Now We'll see later why I make that assertion, but for now simply allow me to say that and move on. Because this is very relevant. For decades, the law, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, has been largely ignored in many churches. I know in my own ministry in the past, I've been told to focus on the nice things in Scripture. Focus on God's love and God's grace. Those are precious truths. But if we are to teach the whole counsel of God, we must see the importance of a lawful use of the law. When we think of the law as a sword or a hammer, that isn't looked upon as being very positive. But in the same time, a proper use of the law is the most positive thing, for it brings about the purpose unto which God has intended the giving of the law. You see, thankfully, in more recent years, there have been models of evangelism which focus strongly on the use of the law. Are they correct? How do they do it? How are we to use the law lawfully? Well, I mentioned some of these things in conclusion last week, but I think it's important to spend some time to consider them in more detail today. First of all, we use the law lawfully 
when it is used to challenge sinners. In verse 8, Paul says this, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, in verse 9, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. Now, there is a very important question to be asked here. What does Paul mean the law is not for a righteous man? Who is the righteous man in view in this verse? Well, it could refer, I suppose, to the righteous who are living righteously from the heart. But of course, the Bible tells us there are none righteous, no, not one. There's none who properly can keep and obey the law righteously from the heart. If that was the case, then there would be no need for a saviour. And so when it says the law is not made for a righteous man, it is not suggesting that somebody can be righteous before the law and therefore render the law of no further importance. The righteous man, of course, could then refer to those who are saved. The Bible does describe the the newborn child of God to be righteous in the sight of the Lord. But even if we were to say that, it would not be correct to say the law is not made for the righteous man. The law is useful and important, as we'll see later on, for those who are saved by grace. The child of God is to live according to the law. Paul in Romans 7 says, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. In the simplest terms, we are to live lives of holiness. We are to seek to live lives without sin. But we know what is holy and we know what is sinful by a proper understanding of the law. Romans 8 tells us that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Thus, when it says here the law is not made for the righteous man, it does not mean, let me say that emphatically, it does not mean that the law is not a rule of life for the believer. Indeed, the Christian life is lived after the example of Christ. And if we're to walk as Christ walked, well, he walked according to the law. He was perfectly conformed to the likeness of God's moral law. And therefore, when we read the law is not made for a righteous man, it is not giving those who are saved a reason to not obey the moral law of God as summarized in the Ten Commandments. No, I think what Paul has in mind here is the righteous man in terms of those who are convinced of their own righteousness. In the context of false teaching, there are those who believe they are righteous before God, and we may describe them as being deluded in self-righteousness. Christ used the word righteous in that sense in Matthew chapter 9, where he says, But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And what the Lord is saying here is that those who are self-righteous do not perceive their need of the gospel. Those who are self-righteous do not see their need of the work of Christ on their behalf. And the righteous man is oblivious, therefore, to the necessity of the law. They are deceived in their self-righteousness. And therefore, the law does not convict them. The law does not challenge them because they are stubborn in their heart and convinced of their own righteousness. 
Thus, if we see the full verse in verse 9 of 1 Timothy 1, we read this, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. And so we see that the law is used properly when it is used to convict sinners of their sin. Note the list that follows. The law is for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves of mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. The list follows the Ten Commandments. They are couplets that are used at the beginning that refer to the first four commandments. To be ungodly violates the first commandment where we are to uh, honor God above all. The first commandment is violated by the ungodly as they live without acknowledging God as the true God. The second commandment often refers to idolatry, making graven images. And so the sinners are those who are viewed as violating the important matter of worshipping God as he commanded. The unholy are those who do not treat God's name as being hallowed, violating the third commandment. The profane may well be those who do not honour the Sabbath day. They do not mark it as a holy day. They are profane. Now, I believe that is very possibly the thinking of Paul in the opening words of this list. And I say that because what follows does clearly seem to follow the rest of the law of God. Paul deals with those who are murderers of fathers and murders of mothers. Now, we know the Lord involved hatred as being akin to murder. And what you see in this list is that those who are hating father and mother are guilty of murdering father and mother, and they're violating the fifth commandment to honor father and mother. Manslayers, of course, refers to those who are violating the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Whoremongers and those that defile themselves in mankind, they are violating the seventh commandment. Men-stealers, they are those who are violating the commandment not to steal, not to steal men. You have liars and perjured persons violating the ninth commandment. Now, the Tenth Commandment to not covet is not explicitly referred to here, but Paul certainly speaks of that elsewhere. Now, undoubtedly, in the list that Paul gives here in 1 Timothy 1, there are extreme forms of the law-breaking that are mentioned. But as we look at the extremes, Paul is emphasizing that the law convicts those, even those in the hardness of extreme sin. But of course, while we look at the extreme, we must never forget that heart sins are involved. Not to look at a woman lustfully is to commit adultery with her in our hearts. That to hate without cause is to be guilty of murder. Those are the things that Christ teaches, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount. And so the law of God is used properly, according to Paul, when it is used to convict sinners of their sins. And thus, the law must be preached in our churches. Tragically, there are many in the liberal Christian community, uh, and they would say, we don't want to hear about sin. But we do see in the word of God that the law of God 
is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. Galatians chapter 3. The law must drive you to Christ. The law is not a ladder to climb. The law is a law that brings conviction for our law breaking. And so we must be careful that in our preaching, in our evangelism, we don't use the law to make people feel awful without applying the balm of Christ. We must be clear that the purpose of the law is to bring conviction unto conversion. It is to bring remorse unto repentance. It is using the law in that sense that shows men their sin, but then uses that law to cause them to flee to Christ. And so perhaps some of you are listening to this program today and you must acknowledge and confess that you're guilty of sin in the sight of God. You're guilty of not keeping God's law. And I tell you, God's law comes and it rebukes you and it convicts you and it charges you of guilt before a holy God. Sin and guilt is not about popular opinion or an average standard. It's not enough to say you're better than your neighbor. It's about God's standard and we fall short of God's standard. And hence we need a savior who is Christ the Lord. It is a tremendous concern when sin is preached in our churches and people can sit there and feel nothing. The law is used properly when it is used to convict sinners of sin. A passing comment is the law is also used properly when it is used to restrain sinners. Just a passing point as we pray over this text. But Paul gives us a list of extreme ways to break the second table of the law. That's caused some to postulate that he's showing that the law must be used to restrain the worst excesses of man's rebellion. And the function of good government is to restrain the excesses of sin in the depraved sinner. We should pray. We should pray for our land. We want to ensure that the sins of the day are restrained, sins of sexual immorality, the worst form of sexual misconduct. We think of the abortion acts that tolerate manslaying. Oh, it is right and proper for government to restrain evil, and they do so upon the authority of the law of God. And so we see that the law is used lawfully when it is used to convict sinners and to challenge sinners. But in the second place, the law is also used properly when it is used for the confirmation of the saints. Earlier on in this chapter, in verse 5, Paul says, Now the end, or the purpose of the commandment, is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. In challenging false teachers, Paul reminds Timothy and the elders of the need for godly edifying, the need to build up the church and confirm the saints. And whilst there is false teaching around, it's important for the gospel minister and the elders of a church to direct people to the law and see that the outcome of that law is love out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere, unfeigned faith. The end of teaching the law, the end of teaching God's law, is charity or love. In other words, the proper use of the law is to produce love. I remind you again that Christ 
perfectly embodied the law. He perfectly obeyed the law. And Christ Jesus walked in perfect love. He was the most loving man to ever walk on this world. And the law is summarized in one word, namely love. Let me read to you the words of Romans chapter 13. Well, from the verse number eight, Paul says this, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You see, those who deny the ongoing obligation for the believer to follow the law of God, they have little to say with regard to these verses. We see the law is briefly comprehended in the saying, Thou shalt love thy neighbor. The law of God is the character of God summarized in the Ten Commandments and then summarized in those two words, love God and love the neighbor. So the law is for the believer something that they live by, not to earn God's favor, but in reflection of the new heart that God has given them. They've been born again. They are made like unto Christ. And as they're made to live like unto Christ, so they walk as Christ walked and they walk according to the commandments and the precepts of the law of God because that's how Christ walked. And they do so, as Paul says, with a pure heart. It's a cleansed heart, a clean heart. These are saved souls. We read in the Psalms, the pure in heart shall see God. What a blessing it is to be pure in heart. We can't purify our own heart, but in the rebirth, we're given a new spirit and a new heart. That's why these verses are important, again, in terms of the order. It is love out of a pure heart, not love into a pure heart. We can't love ourselves clean. We must be cleaned by God before we love. This is the need for the regeneration that the Spirit of God wrought This is the need for the regeneration that the Spirit of God works in the heart of the sinner. What a blessing it is to be born again. And those of a pure heart, they then hear the law of God and they love God and love their neighbor. A good conscience is also involved here. Oh, that is the blessing of the gospel. Christ's blood cleanses our conscience. The guilt of sin is removed. We no longer stand condemned by the law. But we stand those who are free of the law's condemnation. But as free of the law's condemnation, we, we affirm the rightness of the law. Our conscience were guilty because we were conscious that we violated a good law. But when our conscience are set free, we then profess the goodness of the law and we desire to obey the law. A cleansed conscience drives us to full sincerity in keeping the law of God. We also practice this love from a faith that is unfeigned. No hypocrisy, a genuine trust in God and Christ. It's unthinkable for a believer to deny the need to keep the law of God. Oh, the law 
is taught in our churches so that believers will live as they ought. Works of love for God and man, they flow from conversion. They do not lead into conversion. But God's desire for his people is that they love him and they love others. And if that love is absent, then that is an indication of a problem within the heart. The commandment produces charity or love out of a pure heart. And if there's an absence of love for God and neighbor, then there's a problem in the heart. True religion is always from the inside out. You see, the measurement of a healthy church is not in numbers or money, it's in love. How do we love? The purpose of good Bible doctrine is to produce loving saints. Now, sadly, many churches that warn against false teaching become proud and unloving to any. They're so convinced of their own rightness that they show no love towards others with whom they may differ. Oh, the best taught Christians love sincerely. Those who understand the gospel and are taught the law of God, they come to love others in sincerity. You see, as we close, Paul makes the point that all of this law in verse 11 is according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. There is no, uh, there is, there is no opposition between the law and the gospel. They come together. The law leads sinners to the gospel. And the gospel produces within sinners obedience to the law. The law and the gospel are not enemies. They work together as part of God's revelation to see sinners saved and to see saints walking as image bearers of God. Some of these concepts are challenging. They are complex but they are tremendously important. And we trust that as you meditate upon them today, that God will help you, challenge you, see your need for Christ, the one who came, the just for the unjust to bring us to God, and to see our need to be conformed to his likeness day by day. Let me close in a word of prayer. Eternal God, we pray you take your word. Bless it to each and every listener. We ask, O Lord, that you would challenge the unconverted, that they would see their need of Christ as those who are guilty of breaking the law, and bless those who do know thee. Help them to love thee more and more. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.